what I do know is that there is a way out for me. I know that I don't feel stupid anymore. I don't believe I'm defective anymore. I don't hurt the way I hurt that day in my room with that bottle of pills anymore. Hello, everyone. My name is Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. The words you just heard are a quote from Jonathan Mooney, who is the author of Normal Sucks, How to Live, Learn, and Thrive Outside the Lines. Jonathan Mooney, welcome to Mind Talk. Oh, thanks so much for having me on the program. Really appreciate you and appreciate what you do. Thank you, Jonathan. Now, you are described as having been diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD as a child. You did not learn to read until you were 12. What was that like for you? Well, as, as you can imagine, it was a, <laughs> it was a tough go. Uh, uh, I had uh, all sorts of uh, labels that surrounded me because uh, I didn't fit the school environment. Uh, I was called the dumb kid, the lazy kid, the crazy kid, the bad kid. And then, as you noted, I became the special ed kid uh, diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD. And uh, the way that those differences were treated, uh, as noted in your beautiful introduction, uh, compromised my sense of self. You know, I felt not different, but deficient. And uh, for a while, gave up hope. Well, you know, it's interesting because you, as you said, you were told you were lazy and stupid and would probably end up homeless or in jail. What a prediction. What a wonderful life to look forward to. And yet today you are here as a New York Times bestselling author, an Ivy League grad, a renowned disabilities rights advocate. What a difference a perspective makes. Yeah, and what a difference people make. Um, you're right. I was told I'd be a high school dropout, became a college grad instead, uh, was told I'd be unemployed, ended up writing books, and uh, was told I'd be an inmate and became an advocate. And that journey of transformation uh, was facilitated by many things, but it was facilitated in large part by uh, people in my life, um, uh, educators, uh, my mom in particular, um, uh, the mental health support providers that, that I accessed on many different occasions. It was facilitated by people in my life who uh, saw potential in me uh, and gave me the message that uh, my differences weren't deficiencies and I should uh, celebrate uh, what's right with me and not uh, focus on what's wrong. Let's start out with a little bit of the history that you discuss about the word and the concept normal. You said it didn't even enter into the English language until the mid-1840s, and even then it was in, in a, a medical capacity, was it not? Yeah. You know, we, uh, to quote a, a philosopher I admire named Michel Foucault, we live in the uh, society of the judges of normality, and um, those judges of normality are basing their rulings on who is normal and who is not on a – uh, social construct that did not enter the English language until the 1840s. Uh, that's a pretty staggering fact when we consider that normal masquerades as a, a self-evident human truth that's been around for all of human history. It emerged within a particular social context, uh, standardization, industrialization, when there was a, a cultural imperative to make folks more the same, uh, turn out widgets. And uh, normal in particular uh, came from statistical thinking, first and foremost, 
uh, the idea of a, a norm and a bell curve or a statistical average. Uh, that origin uh, is the beginning of its deconstruction because we know that statistics by definition are abstractions. A good example of that is the average number of children in an American household is 2.5 kids. Haven't met many 0.5 children in my life. Those are the things that, those are things that don't, don't exist. Um, and what happened with the confluence of uh, that uh, sort of linguistic history around normal and the rise of industrialization and standardization, uh, folks who uh, became uh, considered not normal uh, weren't seen as different, but they were seen as sick, as defective. Uh, their experiences were pathologized. Um, and uh, their sense of self was compromised. You share with us the UN World Report on Disability. And, it, you know, again, it's, it's a, an extraordinary fact that people with cognitive and physical differences have the worst life outcomes as measured by employment, wages, and educational tre- achievement of any minority group in the world. My goodness. It's social injustice and uh, not a, uh, a tragedy, but a crime. Uh, and we're not uh, culturally used to talking about the marginalization of people with atypical uh, brains and bodies through the lens and language of social justice and equity, because we've been acculturated to think of their experience, my experience, through the lens of pathology and medicine. But when we take a step back, when we understand that uh, atypical brains and bodies are not aberrant. <laughs> They're not um, uh, 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 something to be ashamed of. They're essential to the human experience. Uh, we all will experience a disability in our life. It is the human condition in many respects. And when we think about that, uh, and we think about those outcomes documented by the UN, by the Ruderman Foundation, by, by so many others, uh, we have to call it what it is. Uh, it's discrimination against uh, folks who are different. Uh, it's a form of social injustice, uh, and it's got to stop. You describe some really upsetting um, truths about how people who were seen as quote unquote abnormal or defective were treated not in a foreign land, but here in America. Tell us. Actually, we're probably going to go to break in just a, a, well, no, we've got a little bit of time. Uh, Tell us about eugenics. You give us a bit of history, which is, I I, I can't, I'm speechless. And and I was speechless as I was reading about it. Yeah, it's a a long and nefarious history that I'll try to share in a a short and accessible way. Uh, With the rise of normal uh, as a cultural value, Um, there was the rise of whole swaths of human beings being called abnormal. And abnormal is not to be different. Uh, It's to be defective uh, based on the linguistic origin of that word. It means to differ from the norm in an undesirable way. So subsequently, in the uh, 20th century, there was a movement that sought to get rid of the abnormal or, in the language of the eugenics thinking, the defective, a word that they used. And that word defective was applied to whole swaths of human beings from folks that we would now consider to be uh, intellectually disabled or or developmentally delayed to stutterers like our current 
uh, candidate for president, Joe Biden, to myself, who couldn't read well. And those people deemed defective were rounded up. They were institutionalized, uh, incarcerated. They were targeted for uh, a sterilization within those institutions and beyond. And uh, in many cases, they were targeted for elimination. The apex of that being Nazi Germany, which came to the United States to study our eugenics uh, best practices, quote unquote, and brought it back to their country where they systemically targeted people with atypical brains and bodies for elimination before they targeted Roma, uh, folks with atypical sexualities before the final solution. The folks that had to go were the people who were biologically uh, defective in their mind and disqualified because of their differences. Jonathan, we're going to take a break, uh, but when we come back, we will continue with this conversation. You may have heard me take a sigh because even as it's it's the sigh that I took when I read your words, it's the sigh that I take as I hear your words. It is astounding on so many levels to think that the Germans learned from us to do what they did. I think that's extraordinary. We'll take a break, folks. This is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk, and I'm having a conversation with Jonathan Mooney, who is the author of Normal Socks. We'll be right back. Jonathan, what did Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Stanford, the American Medical Association, the American Genetic Association, and the United States Department of State all have in common? They were all um, adamant eugenics supporters, uh, funders, uh, ambassadors to the idea in the form of courses, almost every uh, so-called elite university in the country at the time offered uh, eugenics uh, courses. And uh, they were ultimately, in the form of the American Genetic Association, they were ultimately the uh, future incarnation of this thinking to some extent. You know, we tend to think that the horrors of the eugenic movement is behind us. Uh, but the reality is that with the rise of genetic engineering, the mapping of the human genome, uh, the reductive, reductionist thinking around um, the determinism of certain genes and certain conditions, we are seeing uh, a new eugenics in which uh, classes of human beings, folks with Down syndrome, people with Williams syndrome, uh, folks with ADD, uh, are being talked about as genetically defective uh, and are subsequently uh, being talked about as something that can be curable through genetic intervention. Uh, that is a 21st century form of elimination, and it's a new eugenics that we have to be mindful of, cognitive of, and, and fight back against. There was a, uh, a, a legal case that you've talked about uh, where a woman uh, was sterilized uh, without her permission. 
Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that one? Some context to it first. Um, as I mentioned, the eugenics movement, which was not a fringe movement, which was supported and sponsored by all those uh, institutions that you just alluded to, uh, had a, a, a plan. And, and I don't mean, mean this in, a, in an abstract sense. They had a written plan. And the second point of their plan to uh, get rid of defectives was sterilization. Uh, and there was a robust, sophisticated uh, sterilization network, and one part of their sterilization plan was to draft model sterilization laws for states to pass. Uh, somewhat of somewhere of the rounds of 30 states had these laws, um, and then subsequently, their goal was to have one of these model laws challenged on constitutional basis with the goal of having the Supreme Court rule constitutionally that sterilization was legal. So then it would proliferate around the United States. So a part of their plan was to find a case study that could go all the way to the Supreme Court. They found it in this woman named Carrie Buck, and she was an inmate at the Virginia Colony for Epileptics. These are real places where people were sent. And she was sterilized against her will uh, with the goal of her case going to the Supreme Court, and it did. And in a very famous ruling, the Chief Justice, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, ruled that sterilization was constitutional, and he ruled with a very famous saying that it was constitutional because three generations of idiots is enough. And subsequently, when the Supreme Court ruled it was constitutional, uh, more states adopted the model sterilization laws and sterilizations around the country against people's will uh, exploded, doubled and tripled in many cases. Uh, it's an example of how uh, public policy uh, was directly uh, deployed to continue that historic marginalization of the people called not normal. And it's important to note that Buckbolt versus Bell, that's how the Supreme Court is, case is known, has never been overruled and still, in theory, is standing off. And tell us why Carrie was institutionalized. What, what was her crime? Her crime was being different and, and being outside the norms of a uh, conservative, um, socially um, narrow society. She was considered, uh, quote-unquote, uh, words they used, uh, uh, loose uh, with, uh, with bad morals. Uh, she had a daughter, uh, Vivian, uh, out of marriage. Uh, which at the time was considered to be a key indicator of being defective. The reality is that in subsequent journalistic uh, look at Carrie's life, she was actually raped and abused on a number of different occasions. Um, and she was uh, institutionalized, incarcerated for those reasons and those reasons alone. Uh, she was ultimately partly ruled uh, her sterilization was constitutional because she had a daughter, Vivian, uh, the daughter was supposedly judged to be defective as well. So that meant that there were three generations, Carrie, Carrie's mother, and Vivian. Uh, but the great irony of this whole story is Vivian, Carrie's daughter, one of the three generations of uh, imbecile that was enough, according to Oliver Wendell Holmes. The great irony is, is Vivian turned out to be an honor student. Interesting. Was she sterilized as well? Uh, she was not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
you know, I, again, I, I, I'm almost speechless. She was institutionalized because she had loose morals in that she was pregnant outside of wedlock. So I, she must have gotten pregnant by herself because otherwise the gentleman who helped to create the pregnancy, wouldn't he have had loose morals as well? <laughs> yeah, the hypocrisy and the um, uh, uh, real um, uh, injustice uh, uh, goes far and wide. And you're noting uh, another history of, of the pathologizing of difference, and that has uh, been that women uh, have been pathologized historically uh, as less than and medicalized and their medicalization used to justify their subjugation. And uh, folks of, of, of color um, face the same uh, delegitimization through biological labels. Uh, this is a long history, and it's a history that we don't uh, talk enough about, history that we don't elevate to the level of injustice. And it's a history uh, that, if we are not uh, cognizant and vigilant, uh, will uh, and can repeat itself again. You talked also about a medical doctor, I want to say in Kansas, uh, who castrated children because they were seen as not normal? Yeah, it gives you a whole new uh, definition of what's the matter with, uh, with Kansas. Uh, uh, he was, uh, quote-unquote, and, and, and these, this is quotations from eugenic literature, he was a pioneer in uh, advancing uh, sterilization um, uh, through uh, those means. Um, he was celebrated within his own uh, medical community uh, for his um, so-called innovations in, in deterring uh, the creation of more defectives. Uh, and it's, it's just a, another example and reminder of what happens when we call other humans less than. What happens when we call other humans not normal is we try to norm them. And the word norm means to make regular. That's what it means. And to make regular is to change somebody fundamentally. And to be made regular hurts. And we have to stop norming people in the most extreme ways uh, embodied by the eugenics community, of course, but also in the day-to-day -day ways in which we apply the standard of normalcy to other human beings. And when we do that, terrible things happen. So tell me how we get to a conversation about murdering people or fundamentally changing the quality of their lives because we see them as, quote-unquote, not normal and your life. You weren't murdered. You um, weren't castrated, I don't think. You don't have to answer that. You didn't live any of these things. So how does this come to be in your book about normal and the title Normal Sucks? Well, these are um, the most uh, egregious examples of uh, making people, people regular. Um, and I thought it was important for us to understand the most extreme uh, applications of the norm in human affairs and human society. Uh, 
But those uh, extreme examples are uh, the end of a continuum of smaller, everyday ways that difference has been normed and negated. And I know those small uh, and everyday ways, you know, personally and viscerally. You know, my dyslexia at first wasn't accommodated, but remediated. That is the idea of fixing what was, quote unquote, wrong with my brain. My ADHD wasn't accommodated, but was punitively remediated. It wasn't let's work with the child where they're at. It was let's make the kids sit still, and if they don't sit still, well, something's wrong with them, and let's put them in the hallway where they can chill out with the janitor where I spent a lot of the day. So this is all part of a continuum, a continuum of seeing different as deficient, of seeing uh, folks with differences as not normal, and then building a social infrastructure, a cultural narrative that tries to make the round peg fit the square hole. And if it doesn't, then it's not normal. And if it doesn't, and we try too much, and it breaks, and the kid finds himself with a bottle of pills in their room, well, that's their fault, not our fault. Right. It, again, it's more proof that the child is not normal. So clearly what you are saying to us in, in really eloquent ways and fascinating ways and humorous ways is that just as a people, if we are going to be as humane as we would like to see ourselves as, we really need to revisit what it is that we call normal. If we're going to live up to the uh, highest human aspiration of building a world that doesn't just work for all, uh, doesn't just work for some, but works for all. We have to wrestle with the historic negation of whole swaths of human beings as less than and the imperative to change them. And we have to move away from a rehabilitation society, to quote a French sociologist named Jacques-Henri Stryker. Rehabilitation means to return to a normal state. And we have to move away from that rehabilitation, remediation society, to a universally design society grounded in the reality of human difference. Jonathan, we're going to take a break and we will be right back. Jonathan, I noticed some noise in the background. Sounds like you're in a busy place. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm back. I'm still in that same little corner, but I, <laughs> I, I think we should be okay for the last five minutes unless you heard too much in the background. No, we're good. I just wanted to let the listeners know that it was not them and that we're good. Jonathan, the, the idea, the question you asked yourself, you asked your mom after you were diagnosed with uh, ADHD and dyslexia if you were normal. And you begin your book with questions from both of your sons asking you if you're normal. 
when those issues, when those fears come up, whether it's from a child who feels not normal or a person who's wondering if somebody is normal, what would you like folks to think about differently than we think about today? Well, you're right that those are natural, valid human questions. Um, I asked my mom the day I was diagnosed with a continuum of learning differences if I was normal. Um, my kids have asked me when they came to learn about my experiences if I was normal. And I'm expecting the day when my kids ask me that question about themselves because, uh, to paraphrase Foucault again, we live in the society of the judges of normality. We live in a society where we are looking every day at a new normal on Instagram that is an impossible dream that we're told we should live. So uh, those are natural questions. And what I want people to say when they're asked that is what my mom said to me. When I asked my mom if I was normal, uh, and she's quite a character. She's not a tall woman. She's like 4'9". She's got a high-pitched, squeaky voice like Minnie. Now she curses like a truck driver. And when I said, hey, mom, am I normal? She said, you know what, Jonathan? Normal sucks. And that was uh, the beginning of uh, a different journey for me, a journey that had ups and downs, a journey uh, that was winding, uh, a journey that was a couple steps back, a couple steps forward, depending on the day. But nonetheless, that was uh, a different path for me. And uh, I survived. I thrived because of that. And I know others can too. You know, one of the things about being normal, if you will, is that it really can be limiting. Wouldn't you say? I mean, there are certain rules that you have to follow if you are what we generally perceive as normal. There are things you can't do, that you can do, that you can wear, that you can't wear. There's a way that you can be or not be that is really, I would say, you know, you sort of live a shrunken life, it seems to me, if you try to follow whatever the rules are of the day for normal. Yeah, nor normal tells us who we should be, and uh, it does not empower us to be who we are in our broadest and biggest sense. And to live a full life requires us to reject those narrow ideas of normality, to celebrate the different in all of us, and to uh, reject the idea that there is a way any human being should be. You know, it's not the normal to change the world, it's the different. And they change the world not despite the different their differences, but because of them. Jonathan, tell us where we can get more information about Normal Sucks. Well, a couple things. Come, come find me at, at jonathanmooney.com. Uh, that's my website. I'm always sharing where I'll be speaking and things I care about. But what I'm really asking people to do is to stop faking normal because normal is a construct that has power only when we give it power, when we pretend it exists and we chase its never-ending, always-expanding horizon. So I'm asking folks uh, in their life to share boldly, courageously their different, the chipped parts of themselves, the imperfect pieces of their puzzle uh, because I know that when we share our different with others, we take normal down. So people can join me on that movement to, to share their different and challenge normal uh, at hashtag uh, normal sucks. 
All righty. And again, that website is Jonathan Money, M-O-O-N-E-Y, dot com, yes? Correct. All right. Jonathan, I know you are on a busy schedule, and I thank you so much for spending time with us today and talking to us about learning to live and thrive outside the lines. Thank you, Jonathan. Oh, it was it was my it was my deep pleasure. Thank you so much. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. If you'd like to be in touch with me directly, you can send an email to Pamela, P A M E L A, at mindtalk.org that's m-y-n-d-t-a-l-k dot o-r-g we're on lots of different platforms you can find out about them by going to the mind talk website which once again is m-y-n-d-t-a-l-k dot o-r-g all of our programs are archived at the site by the day not the date and i encourage you to visit as often as you would like and remember always folks if it's unacceptable then it's just plain old unacceptable. You take care.